Our reading today is an interesting one because in it, the Apostle Paul is speaking to the smartest men in the ancient world, and he tells them they're ignorant. Uh, the, the people that he's talking to are some of the leading philosophers of Athens, and this is, uh, Athens is not at its peak anymore, but it's not that far removed from its peak. And uh, there is nothing in our world today quite like what Athens would have been uh, in, in the first century. Uh, to, to imagine what Athens is like, you have to start with a college town, I mean a really good college town. You start with Boston, with Harvard and MIT, and then you mix in you know, Cambridge and Oxford, you throw in Stanford and Princeton and every other college that has a great um, intellectual uh, reputation. And that's basically what Athens was in the first century. So, so Paul is speaking to some of the leading intellects in this town of Boston, uh, this town of Athens, and he's telling them that they are ignorant. And that's a good thing because uh, he tells them what to do about it. And, uh, and since we're ignorant, uh, that's a, that's a good thing. We can actually hear what Paul has to say about how we can deal with ignorance in our own life. And we are. We are ignorant. Um, we're not ignorant of the same things they are, but we're ignorant of different things. Everybody is ignorant. Everybody has gaps in their knowledge. This is not uh, meant to be an insult. It's just stating a fact that there's things that, that we don't know. There's things I don't know. I don't know how to play the flute. I don't know anything at all about French poetry. I don't know nuclear physics. There's all kinds of gaps in my knowledge because I've never studied them. And there's other kinds of gaps in my knowledge because because nobody knows them. Nobody studied them because they haven't happened yet. So, for example, you know, everybody's been talking about it for two months, but coronavirus is an example. There's so many things we don't know about coronavirus. We don't yet really understand exactly how infectious it is. We don't yet understand completely when it is at, at when it is at its most infectious point we don't know uh, how transmissible it is we don't know uh, when there will be a vaccine i saw something that w- went around to pastors the other day it was from the wisconsin council of churches and they they were proposing that there be no congregational singing in churches until a vaccine was developed and i don't know when a vaccine's going to be developed uh, it could be a while. Uh, we've been working on a vaccine for AIDS for more than 30 years, and there's still no vaccine for AIDS. There are antiviral treatments, but there is no vaccine. So when will there be a vaccine? We don't know. That is an example of a gap in our knowledge. It's an example of something we're ignorant about. Beyond beyond the health consequences of uh, the coronavirus, there's all kinds of other questions. We don't know Nobody knows, can you shut down a modern economy without killing it? Uh, We don't know if you do shut it down without killing it, exactly how or when you should restart it. These are things that that we're we're ignorant of and we're trying to figure it out. And the good news is there are experts. Um, there are there are real experts, and there are the people on cable news who who all know uh, everything about this topic. But there are experts who are working on these problems, so we don't have to think about them. But we we probably have questions of our own. We're wondering, am I going to get sick? Am I going to become ill? Is there somebody in my circle, my family or my friends who's going to get sick? Is somebody I know going to die? We don't know the answer to these questions. These are these are more areas of our of our ignorance. So 
We have questions about that. We have questions about what's going to happen to our finances, what's going to happen to our job. We have all kinds of areas of, of ignorance, and that's why this is such an interesting passage, because Paul is talking to people who are already the smartest people in his era, and he's telling them how they can deal with their own ignorance. And so that's something that's helpful to for us to look at. As we, as we look at this, we will see that this is actually a place where, um, as it often is, the scriptures are very practical. In fact, this passage is practical even if you're not a church person, even if, even if you're not a Jesus person, even if you don't know exactly what to think about Jesus. And you're, you're not really sure what you know or, or what you believe about Jesus. That would be an example of a gap in your knowledge. You're not sure what, what you think. That would be a, maybe something that you could apply this to, but it doesn't have to be religious topics. Uh, Paul is talking about religious topics in this, in this, uh, passage, but it, it isn't something he chose. Uh, it, he didn't get to pick the topic. He was summoned before this, this group of people and, and they gave him the topic. So, so, um, uh, what I want to do is I want to look at this, but looking at it not simply as a passage of scripture, something that happened a thousand years ago or two thousand years ago, but something that will tell us how we can be, um, how we can uh, deal with the gaps in our own knowledge, what we can do in in the face of things that are puzzling or or uh, mysterious to us. How do we deal with the ignorance, uh, the, the the places of our ignorance, the gaps in our own knowledge? So, so um, Paul did. I said Paul didn't didn't pick his topic. Paul didn't even pick Athens. He didn't, he didn't decide, hey, I want to go to Athens and talk to the smart people there. What actually happened was Paul was in Thessalonica, which is in the north of Greece, and, uh, he was telling people about Jesus. And they, uh, the, the, a, people who disagreed with him, uh, got upset and there, there was some commotion, there were some riots, and Paul had to leave town. So he did leave town. He left to a town called Berea, but they were so upset with him that they tracked him down when he went to this other town of Berea. And so Paul had to sneak out of Berea and he went to Athens simply because he thought that would be a place where no one from Thessalonica would find him. So he goes to Athens and uh, he starts doing what Paul always did. He started telling people, let me tell you about Jesus. There's this man, Jesus, that I want to tell you about. I've met him and I know some things that you would like to know about Jesus. So Paul is doing that in the marketplace. But Athens is a particular place. Athens, in, in Athens, you can't simply just start telling people about a new religion. Uh, there, there was actually a, a law that said that, that new religions were forbidden. And there was a, a group of people whose job it was to enforce that law. And so people listen to Paul and they say, well, he seems to be promoting some kind of a new religion. And so they say, why don't you go explain that to the religion council? Uh, and and there, th- this religion council was a group of people called the Areopagus. That, that's a Greek word that means the, the people who, who were on Mars Hill. Mars and Ares, um, two different names for the same uh, uh, god. So uh, Ares, Mars, Mars Hill is where they met. Um, and the, they got their name from the place they met. So this religious council, whose job is to is to uh, have people, if if you want to promote a religion, you have to run it past them so they can decide if it's safe. And they don't always decide if it is. In fact, uh, several centuries before, Socrates uh, got the death penalty. The reason Socrates was condemned to die was because he had promoted what they thought of as a new religion. He was um, actually charged with corrupting the the morals of the young by promoting this new religion so that was that was the charge against uh 
Socrates, and that's the charge or the the question. It's not clear if they actually charged him, but they were talking to Paul to find out, is this what you're doing too? Are you promoting a new religion? So that's the place we come to in verse 22 of um, the book of Acts chapter 17. So we read, Paul stood up in the middle of the council on Mars Hill. Paul stood up there and he said, people of Athens, I see that you're very religious in every way. As I was walking through town and carefully observing your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. What you worship as unknown, I now proclaim to you. So Paul is saying, this is not a new religion. It's it's a new understanding of a religion you've always had. You were the ones who approved that sign. The very fact that you let that sign be posted somewhere here in town shows you're okay with this idea. This is not a new idea. Please don't give me the Socrates treatment. But he's also saying, you you have a gap in your knowledge here, and I can actually fill in that gap. So Paul says, um, I can help you with that. And so how does he do that? This is the place where he explains, uh, he, he illustrates how you actually uh, fill in the gaps in your knowledge. What do you do when there's a, an area of ignorance uh, that you have? So he says, he says, God, who made the world and everything in it, is Lord of heaven and earth. He doesn't live in temples made with human hands, nor is God served by human hands, as though he needed something, since he is the one who gives life, breath, and everything else. From one person, God created every human nation to live in the whole earth, having determined their appointed times and the boundaries of their lands. Paul says um, that that uh, he, he kind of rehearses some basic understanding of what, what anybody would think about uh, a God, that, that humans aren't actually making gods, that uh, humans are serving God. So he says, he says uh, think about it. Does that even make sense? If a God could make you, if a God could create the world, is there anything that you could provide that God? Um, if, if you, if you decide that the God needs an apple and you go pick an apple off a tree, is there anything, is, is the God gaining anything from that? Uh, he made you, he made the apple tree. How is that, how is that saving him anything? Or, or serving him, right? He's the one who gives you life, breath, and everything else. You don't have anything to give God. Everything you've got comes from God. So how could you possibly give something to God? So he says, if you just reason this through, you know, you're, you're the, the Areopagus. You're the, the council that meets on Mars Hill. You are the smartest people in the ancient world. This is not rocket surgery. This is not something that's really hard to figure out. This is, this is just using your head. So the first thing Paul says is, use your head. You know, we don't know everything, but we, but, but God did give us a brain. And so he says, start there. See how far your reason will take you. It, it won't complete the job maybe, but see how far you can get just using your reason. So he starts with that and he says, he goes on, he says, he says, God made the nations so they would seek him, perhaps even reach out to him and find him. He said, God made a purpose. God gives us a purpose. He made us for a particular purpose. And it's not to serve him, not to build um, idols or, or temples, because he doesn't need those things. But he does have a purpose for him, which is really a purpose for us, a purpose that we would reach out and grope toward him, that we would try to, to reach out and perhaps even find him. And he says that God isn't far away. That's, that's achievable, at least in theory. We may not actually achieve it ourselves, 
but at least in theory, God is not far from us. So, so the right person might be able to do it. He says, in God, we live, move, and exist. That's how close God is, that everything we do is essentially in God. So we go as far as our reason allows us. Now, that's not going to get us to God. It's not going to get us uh, to a lot of interesting problems. But we go as far as our reason takes us. And what do we do then? Well, uh, at that point, a lot of us basically give up. A lot of us say, that's as far as I can go, and thinking is hard, and I just want to stop here. And Paul says, don't do that. Paul says, don't, don't stop and, uh, and simply say, what, what I've got here is all there is. Um, uh, he says, he says, uh, he, he quotes one of their poets and he says, in God we live, move, and exist. As some of your own poets said, we are his offspring. So he says, everybody has had encounters. Everybody's had things they can't explain. They, they've got, They've got insights of, of who God is. And so he says what, what a lot of people would do then is they would say, okay, that's all there is. They had some experience of the divine. They, you know, their hair stood up. They, they got, a, a, um, an eerie feeling and they said, this is, this is God, but that's all God is. They, they drew a boundary around it and they said, okay, well, uh, I've had some sense of God's power. Or of God's wisdom, uh, God, um, God's love, uh, and so they they take this thing that they've encountered, this this experience that that even the pagan poets talked about. Uh, he says, you you take that, but then you say that's all there is, and then you make a um, uh, you make this divine being of that thing. Uh, uh, so so you have the the power of God that's expressed in you know. Uh, uh, Vulcan throwing lightning bolts or, or Mars, you know, winning a war. Um, or, or you, you have some expression of God's love as Venus or something like that. You have, you have an expression of God's wisdom as Athena. Um, you, you, you say that that's all there is. And then you say, you know, when, when I, when I package that up in this neat little golden idol, then I say, and, and that's all there is, that that's, that's the boundary. And, and, and I, um, I don't know that. I just, I just say that's the part I experienced. And so the rest must be, well, the rest must be an unknown God. So they're basically saying, I'm going to enshrine my ignorance. I'm going to literally enshrine. I'm going to make a shrine out of this area that, that shows I did, I did experience something, but I don't know where it takes me. So, so Paul says, don't enshrine your ignorance. Keep going. Go beyond the, the place where our ignorance, um, uh, starts he says keep going don't don't be tempted to stop there so he says do that so what else do you do well he says god overlooks ignorance of these things in times past but now directs everyone everywhere to change their hearts and lives he says everybody needs to change their hearts and lives change their hearts he's saying he's saying really to repent the the language in the bible is to repent or to change your mind it means to rethink things to to say this is what i used to think but increasingly, I'm not sure if that's true. I'm, I'm, my, the evidence is beginning to bug me because it's not, it's not holding up. And I, I'm beginning to think maybe I don't understand this as well as I should. That we still use our reason, but our reason has taken us to the place where we're going, I don't like the, 
the the picture I'm getting. It's not making sense anymore. So he says he says rethink things. Things should be um, uh, open to to uh, evaluation. Don't simply say this is this is the the boundary and that's that's all there is. That that um that. I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to open up that can of worms again. I'm not going to, I'm not going to relitigate that problem. And he says, he says, you don't have to do it as a first step, but you have to be willing to say, um, if new evidence comes in, then I'm willing to open that topic back up. And so he says, uh, change, he says, God is now directing us to change, um, hearts and lives. And why is that? He says, because everything comes out in the end. He says, this is because God has set a day when he intends to judge the world justly by a man he's appointed. So Paul is trying to lead the conversation to Jesus, but before he gets there, he says, he says that you have to start sometime because, because ultimately there is a truth, that there is a truth and it will come out. He says, he says that God will judge the world. And, and what that means is if, if the topic is God or the gods in the case of, of Mars, the, this Areopagus group, um, then, then that would be a day of judgment. We would actually find out at that point who God is and what God is like. But it's a general idea that ultimately, uh, there, there is, there is something that is, that, that can be arrived at. There's a, there's a judgment that will be arrived at and will say, well, I thought it was this, but it turned out to be that. So he says, God has, has, um, set this day that eventually everything comes out in the end. So he says, uh, so you should get started. And one of the things that means is sometimes it means you've got to speak up that, that you don't, you don't want to make waves. You don't want to, you don't want to be the one who challenges the status quo. I mean, look what happened to, to Socrates. So sometimes you don't want to be that person, but he says, he says, if you've got, information if you know something uh, that that other people don't or that or that is not the way that you always understood in the past he says he says you need to begin following that and see where it goes so the way you deal with ignorance is to follow where the evidence leads starting immediately and then he he, he says uh that this judgment will take place in particular by this man he's appointed now he's he's headed for Jesus but he he um but he he is, I think, wrestling with the question, or he's anticipating the question of, well, if we're all ignorant, how could anybody judge, you know, with justice? How could anybody be accurate in in, in their judgment of things? That we all have gaps in our in our knowledge. All of us have areas of ignorance. So how could anybody judge the world justly? And so he says he says that there is one that God is appointed to do this, and he says that the proof of that is that God has raised him from the dead. Jesus, he's trying to say, I've, I've met Jesus. I've met Jesus on the road to Damascus. And trust me, he is capable of judging uh, the world justly. But he doesn't get there. As we read on in the, in the chapter, what happens is when, when he mentions the, the resurrection from the dead, they start laughing at him. That they are supposed to be the court that understands and judges uh, new religions. But when Paul proposes this idea, they immediately laugh him out of court. Now, the good news is Paul is not like arrested and thrown in jail, which could have happened in Athens. But basically, they, the, these people demonstrate they do not have an open mind. They, they are not capable of rethinking things based on the evidence. They're not even really willing to, to hear the evidence. So 
Um, they are they are comfortable in their in their place, and so Paul basically, uh, as we as we wrap this up, Paul is in a position where they are they are happy to remain ignorant. But we do read that a couple of people, some people joined him and came to believe. So some people say, I want to hear more. Tell me about this, this, this judge you were talking about. And so at some point, a couple of them come to believe in Jesus. So, so Paul is talking, uh, toward Jesus, but he never really gets there because these, these, uh, smart people are not willing to listen to the evidence. And, um, uh, the, the, the the problem I think that we all have is that we all sometimes do that, that we we have areas of ignorance, not simply because we haven't studied something, but because we don't want to study it. It seems like it would be too much work or it would it would be rocking the boat uh, or we just, you know, not we don't feel like it today. And so Paul is Paul is encouraging people to try to overcome that feeling, to take take the the evidence as far as it will go, to use our reason first. Um, but then to go beyond that, to to not be content, not not to enshrine our ignorance, but to rethink things, uh, to to let ourselves be open to what, whatever possibilities the evidence may take us to, and um, and then uh, to uh, to begin immediately. So so we should start uh, immediately. So that's that's the the general structure of his argument. We need to we need to take these things on in the way that he's described. And uh, we, we realize that the, the people on Mars Hill, this Areopagus group, they didn't do that. And sometimes we don't either. I think in churches, uh, we often um, have a sense that we know what, what the right way to do church is. Um, and, you know, historically, people would get into arguments over, over uh, theology. But, but in our own era, people get into arguments over um, the, the, the type of decorations in the church or the type of music that's that's played there's all kinds of reasons that people get into arguments rather than rather than say can we resolve this can we get to a place where we actually understand where we're headed um, and and we we basically enshrine our own ignorance in in the church world so that can happen sometimes in the church but i would i would push beyond that i would i would encourage you to think about your own life the the kind of things that we were talking about earlier the the areas of Ignorance that we have in our lives. Are, are, are there areas of ignorance that, that you should fill? That, that you're, you're kind of resting on, that you're not challenging yourself in? Because Paul proposes uh, a process that if we do these things, if we, if we go to the effort of reasoning to see how far our reason will take us, if we are unwilling to simply say, well, this is the part that I figured out and I, I can ignore the rest, I'm just going to enshrine my ignorance. If we rethink everything, if we're willing to let everything be on the table, and if we get started, then you may be surprised how easily that these areas of ignorance, the things that trouble you, can be can be addressed using the, the methods that Paul used to that that group on in on, on Mars Hill in Athens so long ago. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you see the future. You know what's going on with coronavirus. You know what's going on with our economy. You know you know already what's going to be happening. Not just not just a week from now, but fifty years. However long there is until Jesus returns, you you know the future, but we don't. But you've given us tools. You've given us reason. You've given us uh, conversation partners. You've given us evidence to lead us, uh, as Paul said, 
uh, toward you, to, to help us to grope our way toward you, but also to, to approach the, the regular everyday problems of living in uh, a complex world, Lord. So we pray you would help us to take on uh, these challenges, to, to overcome ignorance um, where we find it, and to, to make our worlds, our, our personal world, and, and the, the wider world a better place through our effort. Uh, we pray this through Christ our Lord. Amen.